What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Other Hours Podcast, the podcast where we talk about how God doesn't want to make you good at church. He wants to make you good at life. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of Living Streams, Marty Caldwell. Welcome to the show. Uh, It's an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to start off by saying thank you for for being a part of this. I know you've been a friend of Living Streams for a number of years, and uh, yesterday we had the honor of having you speak in our Sunday services, which was incredible. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, So I'd kind of like to just begin this by, I'll do a little bit of... uh, Referring back to yesterday's sermon, for those who haven't listened to that, kind of address some of the topics that you um, that you put forth during that time, as well as kind of just getting to know your story, um, and then how you've been connected with Living Streams over the years. So, if you wouldn't mind just kind of sharing that that uh, background of your connection um, with Living Streams Church. Well, let me let me start a little bit before then because this is a kind of a trajectory, if you will. I, I grew up in Southern California. Uh, my dad decided we would be religious sometime when I was about 10 years old, and uh, we went to church five times in a row. I remember it. I do not know how he found the church. I think it was probably in the uh, yellow pages, and I remember liking it, uh, and then uh, we stopped going. So uh, by the time I got to high school, it was a pretty natural product for young life. Uh, I got invited to a young life club, by a cute girl and I did not really care what Young Life was I'd heard it kind of was a religious group but uh, some of my friends had gone and uh, she was cute so I went and really as I talked about hospitality yesterday I think I experienced that in the first 10 seconds my name was used I was made to feel like I was a rock and roll star people were glad I was there there were a couple hundred of my peers uh, from high school that were there and and they were they were laughing they were singing uh, I didn't really get what it was about but it mm-hmm. was obviously just wonderful and I felt this warmth of belonging immediately uh, then a guy got up who became a lifetime friend and he opened up the Bible uh, and he started to talk about Jesus. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, now I'm trapped. He's going to talk about Jesus. This is going to be rules and regulations and uh, uh, a lot of do's and don'ts, and it'll be boring. And and uh, though I didn't walk away believing, I knew that he believed hmm. and that he spoke about Jesus as his friend or as he would speak about a friend. And I thought, this is a curiosity beyond curiosity to me, that a bunch of people would be laughing, would be joyful, would have deep friendships, and would talk about the Bible together. So Uh that curiosity probably has never gone away from that first moment of experiencing what I would say is the fragrance of the grace of God or the fragrance of Mm. Christ. And uh, that man eventually invited me to go to a Young Life camp. I heard the whole gospel laid out, um, you know, pretty much tell me I'm a sinner, explain sin in about uh, four words. And I I said, yeah, me and my friends, we're experts uh, (laughs) at that, and that I could be forgiven. Hmm. by Christ on a cross and and for me the gospel still rings deep and true while we were yet sinners Christ died for hmm. me 
And that's how it was talked about. Us, yes, but for me, and that was personal at that time, freshman year in high school. And I spent the rest of my high school days trying to get all my friends to come to Young Life. I got involved at Scottsdale Bible Church because that was where a friend of mine went. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't like big church very much. It struck me as kind of boring. But there was a smaller group of young people that met, and it seemed like that Young Life Club, the beginning of discipleship for me. That then led me to volunteer with Young Life through college and graduate school, uh, I was never planning on working for Young Life, but some kind of a, a board of directors, if you will, came and said, we think this is what you're made to do. Hmm. And uh, kicking and screaming, uh, I joined the Young Life staff uh, right at the end of 1978. Wow. Um, that part then leads to... Uh, 1993 I was kind of spending my life in the car and we had been members of Bethany Community Church for the previous 10 years before that Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church Mm -hmm. and our kids said hey dad we don't know anyone who goes to our church anymore because they had changed schools and changed neighborhoods and we had a bunch of friends that said you ought to come to Living Stream so kind of end of 1993 or 94 when the campus was at mm-hmm. 20th Street in Bethany and uh, people were late, you could wear shorts and sandals and, and this incredibly young life friendly environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked in and this immediately became our church home. Um, partly because of the relational nature of the community and then also partly because they understood young life so well and lived out of incarnational principles Mm -hmm. of discipleship and community and evangelism and warmth uh that was a natural for us so this has been our church home since then but a lot of people ask me now hey do you still go to living streams yes we do whenever we are in town, (laughs) Uh, because from 2006 and until right now, I've been traveling the world and helping Young Life get started in now 104 countries. So this is still church home. This is still family. This is still rootedness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still consider Mark Buckley our our pastor, and Mm -hmm. we love David. Uh, yeah. In the same way, although with a younger person, it's a little harder to say our pastor. But we do. It, it's just a little bit of getting older. Mm-hmm. And uh, we appreciate their leadership. And this church family has always supported us as missionaries. And this has been a, a family and a, a place of uh, service as well as just a place of belonging for, for us since 1993. Wow, that's incredible. Thanks for that. The whole background kind of makes everything make a little bit more sense now. And I know we were just we were talking right before we went on the air about uh, I asked you if you had an office in Phoenix and <laughs> you said, no, it's more uh, in airport terminals. <laughs> I know them all. I know every sneaky way to get in every faster line. I am a frequent fire. Uh, let me see with American just since 2006, I've flown about a million and a half wow. miles. So when people say, well, where do you want to go on vacation? Uh, my answer <laughs> is, to my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so good. 
Well, how did that all begin? I mean, I know that you mentioned your story in 1978 coming on Young Life staff. Um, what was the progression that led from you being a part of Young Life locally into this entire global endeavor that you've stepped into in the last 14 or well, so years? Well, like, like the call of God, there's always quirky little stories, I think, for each of our lives that mm -hmm. when you think about the moment, it shouldn't add up to what it added up to, but that's yeah. the way the Holy Spirit works. I was leading a club at McClintock High School. This would have been uh, you know, somewhere early 90s. And uh, there was a, a young man in the middle of the Young Life Club um, I didn't know where he was from. I thought, well, possibly Sri Lanka or India or Pakistan or Nepal. Um, and, and, and he was out of control. Every funny thing we did was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. He sang too loud. He nodded his head during the message. And uh, he immediately came up to me right afterwards. And he said, Mr. Marty, one day you must go to India and start this young life. Hmm. He hadn't even shared his name. This was the first thing he said. By the way, he's a Hindu. He was a foreign exchange student. His father was a professor at Arizona State. Um, but those words were the word of the Lord for me. Hmm. Like they still ring deep. And I said, well, uh, hi, my name's Marty. Um, he said, oh, I'm Rajiv. And I said, well, why do you think, uh, why, why do you say start Young Life in India? And he goes, oh, my country needs this Young Life. Okay, well, why? Because young people need hope. Hmm. And in my country, they don't have hope. And I said, well, what about you? And he said, oh, I need hope too. So we went outside, we sat on a planter in the front yard, and for about an hour, we talked about Jesus. Hmm. And he said, well, I, I've never heard any of this. And uh, one of our discipleship group gals took him to First Baptist in Tempe uh, about two months later, and he walked down the aisle, he got baptized, he met Jesus, but he never gave up uh, going to Young Life through the rest of his senior year. But those words always stuck. So I called the national director with Young Life, Bob Reberts was the director at the time. I said, Bob, I think I'm supposed to go to India and start Young Life. And really at that time, I thought, no, I'm moving to India. Yeah, That is what's gonna happen. And he goes, whoa, 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 um, pray. Well, yeah, yeah, of course, sure, we ought to pray. And he goes, no, I'm serious. We're gonna wait and pray. Well, should I start studying? Should I start language acquisition? Should I pull something together? He goes, no, pray and wait. And really, I'd see him every year. It'd be the same answer, pray and wait. Okay, Bob, I don't know if I told you this story. You remember that kid named Rajiv? Mr. Marty, one day you were supposed to go to India, start this young life. Uh, my country needs hope. Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't forgotten. His wisdom really helped guide my life all the way up until he passed away a few years ago. Um, and then one day, late, uh, probably 1997, hmm. Bob calls and says, Marty, come to the Denver airport tomorrow. We're going to meet a man that runs the youth for the Evangelical Fellowship of South India. His name is Sam Rushaker. So kind of stopped whatever I was doing, 
flew. We didn't leave the airport. We sat and uh, uh, had a cup of coffee. And then that started an invitation to go to India and teach a bunch of pastors and Scripture Union and Youth for Christ workers how to reach young people for Christ because they got to the end of their more programmatic formulas were not working. (laughs) And they literally called Young Life and said, can you come and help us? We don't know what to do. Wow. So we went. 200 were there they took notes i literally taught everything that i knew in my whole life because their ability to learn take notes pay attention you know i'm kind of thinking in 30 minute segments and they think in two hour segments followed by a short break and then another two hours followed by a short break let's have lunch followed by another two another two and then they're kind of going well no keep going and uh, it was this revelation of the hunger of Christian leadership in India, for instance, mm-hmm. to learn, in particular, principles of incarnational ministry with adolescents. And wow. so it was really a wonderful affirmation. On the way home, I'm writing, kind of thinking, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. My wife had already said, yeah, we'll, we'll go. Never had made a visit. This was visit number one. <laughs> And I still have this journal, and and the the Lord said pretty clearly, um, don't need you. Um, Don't need another white Westerner. The leaders are already there. And so your job is to help empower them. First identify, but then help empower them. That then, fast forward to a bunch more trips to India Mm -hmm. while I was staff here in Arizona, But then in 2006, when Young Life decided we're going to make a pivot rather than sending Americans who come home after three to five years and, in essence, kind of leave a hole where they had been, we're going to do all of our our, uh, treasure, all of our wisdom, all of our ministry focus will be identify indigenous leadership and empower, empower, empower them for ministry. That then meant Young Life outside of the United States doubled every two years from 2006 to 2019 so that uh, Young Life outside of the U.S. is much bigger than Young Life in the U.S. Now, that is not all that outstanding because, you know, we have, you know, 350 million people here and there's about 7 billion others. But the pivot of the leaders are already there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, might sound small to someone, but it's everything. Yeah. And they really, what we did is we found out, oh, there are people that are doing Young Life. They've just never heard of Young Life. Mm-hmm. And that has proven over and over again, country after country. We were sitting in Rwanda and we were sitting in a hotel meeting all of these believers that wanted to, you know, help some start Young Life in Rwanda. And the last meeting of the day, and they all, you know, wore a tie. They had a, a good brochure. They had their dreams and visions, and we kind of listened to all of them. And then the last meeting of the day was George. He showed up in a kind of sweaty uh, soccer jersey. He was wearing soccer cleats and shorts, and he was late about 10 minutes. And he was very apologetic, and he said, Sorry, I was just on the football pitch. Uh, hmm and playing with a group of young people. And we, and we go, oh, maybe that's the right one. And then he, he cut the interview short. He says, well, I gotta get to my next group. 
it's in another neighborhood. So we hopped in a cab with him. He stepped out of the car, about a hundred young people with George. And he throws out a couple of soccer balls and we just watched them play for the next hour. And we said, George, we think you're the right person for Young Life. And he goes, well, well I, I don't understand. What do you need me to do? Um, what you're doing, you're right, that's Young Life. You're, you're learning names, you're reaching kids, you're going into the neighborhood, you're not waiting, them for, waiting for them to come to you. All of those things uh, are happening around the world with Young Life. So it's this, this pivot of develop indigenous leaders again, mm-hmm. again, again. And we're serious about training. It's my top three priorities after we identify the right people. And again, God just keeps blessing this. I would say a readiness around the world among Catholic and Protestant and Orthodox and Pentecostal. Hmm. Uh, In general, the people are ready and they make the same error that was made often even in the church in the U.S. or in Europe of thinking adolescents as either children Mm-hmm. They're not, or adults, they're not. And so if you think well about them, they are their own tribe. <laughs> and then there are specific principles of relationship and questions and empowerment that uh, help you reach adolescence. And that's the one thing that Young Life has tried to be good at throughout our 78 years of history. Wow. That's incredible. I would love to, to, to talk a little bit more about the missions movement globally and what's happening with that. But before we do, I would love to talk about that little section of time between you hearing from the Lord about India and then actually departing and going. What was that journey like for you personally, where you had this word from the Lord, where you were just sitting on, waiting on? Um, how did you manage to, to keep vision um, during that time as well as maintain the, the patience just to continue to stay well, it, focused. Yeah, th- this is interesting because I, I meet with people as, oh, you know, I feel called uh, to go to Zambia. I feel called to go to Panama. Mm-hmm. I, I always respect that. But I always say this, this may sound kind of grumpy, old mannish. I hope it doesn't, but I'm, I'm trying to follow the, the wise path. I, I, I tell them, write a note to the Lord. Uh, uh, Lord, I sense you're calling me to... mm. And I go, put it in a shoebox, put that shoebox in the bottom of a closet, cover that shoebox with uh, T-shirts from last year and the year before, and then try to forget it. Because if it's a call, it will not go away. Every Mm. missionary who speaks, every time you're reading the book of Acts, that little note will haunt you. And then you'll know, yeah, this is real, this is true, this is deep, this is... But I say, really, try to put it away. Now, part of what I'm trying to do with uh, the younger group is prepare them. This is hard, and it's going to be costly. And so if you think you're going to go somewhere and save the world, you have to die to that because that isn't what's going to happen. You're going to go somewhere and you're going to die. Now, the resurrection may be you end up in uh, Costa Rica or Tanzania or Ethiopia or Hong Kong for the next 20 years. But in case you're kind of thinking this is just a little bit of um, mission, tourism, I'm going to go visit and have a 
kind of a wonderful spiritual, this will be hard. And I kind of feel like it's my responsibility as an elder not to dash dreams, but to help them verify this is not just a whim. This is God's call on my life. Because I meet missionaries all around the world. I nothing but respect. Mm-hmm. But they have had to go through it in yeah. order to get to that effective fruit, which in my math takes about five years. Everyone says, oh, no, much sooner than that. But five years for me is when you have entered the culture, you've learned a language, and you've now earned the right to be heard. And that's the beginning. Well, for most Americans, five years, well, I don't want to begin in five years. I want to begin on Tuesday. Uh, So it's really hard for a Westerner to adapt to that mindset. But if you're deployed as a Western missionary around the world, it's going to take longer. And if you're willing to grit through that, it will be more than you ever thought. Hmm. If you come home sooner, I don't want to say the Holy Spirit does uh, does his work, um, but, but it won't be what it could be when you build a root system. Hmm. So I, I, I think I got that wisdom, and that wisdom, instead of going, turned into going, 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 but with a different mindset rather than doing, empowering others hmm. to do mission work among adolescents, if you will. Right, right, right. And I think that that's... That trend that you're explaining is something that in the church in general has begin to begun to kind of catch on to that oh, yes. reality. Yes, absolutely. If you want to read a good mission book that was literally 80 or 90 years ahead of its time, Roland Allen, hmm. The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. By the way, he was panned and criticized, not as a heretic, but as a fool yeah. in his day. But it is ironic as you read his wisdom, uh, early 1900s, uh, the missionary methods of St. Paul and spontaneous expansion of the church, usually have to buy them used. But they are brilliant and way ahead of their time. And honestly, he predicted the growth of of the church in global south Hmm. 70 or 80 years. And he, and he could have, had we followed his admonition and his teaching, we would have helped sooner because he understood that idea of indigenous leadership development. Right. Again, far ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, yeah. So as, as, a, as a global church, um, I mean, you get the opportunity to see um, the church in a much more of a bird's eye view than most people do. And uh, what are you seeing globally as far as trends in, in uh, missions as well as what the Lord is doing internationally, um, both in Young Life and then in the different churches and uh, ministries that you work with uh, globally? Well, let's say this. I think this is a most exciting time to be alive. I think this is a most exciting opportunity um, there, there are a number of elements that I see as possible. Now, of course, uh, humankind, we can mess this up. Um, but, but I see the, the followers of Jesus Christ, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, and Pentecostal, in a way that is different, coming together and saying, if we don't pull together in unity, 
um, a church will be uh, dormant or gone within the next 50 years or so. Now, this is why I think God has tied the passion and the enthusiasm of the Global South Church. Okay, but what does the Global South Church need? Well, they need some antidote for the prosperity gospel, and they need a deepening in discipleship and theology. Now, what do they have to bring to the rest? Generosity, joy, courage, sacrifice, commitment, all the things that the Western church is maybe a little bit light on or lacking or losing confidence in the global south. So so as I think about it, the global south and the Western church, again, we have things to share mm-hmm. if this is equal sharing. And actually, I think the global south, the things that they have more inherently in their in their mission community is more needed. Like, we can give training, we can give funding, we can give resourcing and library, and, and uh, we, we can give some wisdom. But uh, I think the Global South has actually the more valuable things mm. of passion for Jesus, passion for people, passion for Scripture, passion for prayer. Um, they're, they're not having short prayer meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Western Church having short prayer meetings. That's yeah. not happening in global south around the world and i go oh okay what a joy that that possibly in in god's coming kingdom the this is this there is a coming together here and it is uh, always you could say a unique time in history but i actually think this is a unique time in history because mm-hmm. of this the world is growing smaller the people of your generation you know, hopping on a plane and going to Vietnam or going to the Ukraine or going to Argentina, your world is small. That's be- my world. I had to get on the first plane to India going, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? A little bit daunting, a little bit scared. Step off the plane. Somebody grabbed my suitcase and uh, took it to a cab and I thought I would never see it again. Mm-hmm. So y- your generation is going, yeah, bring it on. And I think that's an opportunity for mm-hmm. the Lord to do something all around the world. By the way, uh, I kind of liken the cell phone to the Roman roads of the time of Jesus, hmm. the connector of all things that literally go through all the power sources as well as through impoverished villages in Africa or India or Asia. Uh-huh. But, but we are now connected. And we're connected in a way like the Roman roads of the times of Jesus, mm-hmm. where the gospel can move quickly. And it, it still needs a relationship. It's not everybody get on the phone and, and have church. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not going to work. But if we can train and teach each other and share because of the, the technology that's available, the acceleration of the church in, in poorer economies is uh, it's just off the charts. So I, I look at this as, as what a great time to be alive in the gospel. And of course, there's opposition, there's headwind uh, that I think we feel in America and Europe has been feeling for a long time. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you watch, there are pockets of light everywhere. Yeah. 
And I think there's an encouragement of, yeah, this is our time. This is a fullness of time, season, and moment that, that I, I go, I'm a young life because I think we want to be in that. Mm-hmm. And we want to fuel and empower that for the local church and for the church around the world. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you just said that, that kind of struck me was the passion that you're seeing coming out of the global south and how that's being infused now into the church globally. Um, I think one of the expressions we talked about yesterday of that is radically ordinary hospitality and a return of that concept into the Western church. Um, I think something that I've noticed when I've traveled abroad, and I think pretty much everyone has, and you mentioned yesterday that you've spent 14 years learning hospitality in 81 different countries, and um, that's something that I've experienced, and I'm sure that you have, of experiencing the, the level of hospitality that other cultures bring to the table the United States is missing out on. Um, how do you see this concept of hospitality returning to the church in um, the West, and how do you see that furthering the gospel in our society? Well, let's say that uh, it must return. Mm-hmm. And, and if it doesn't, if we think this is about just words or lessons or curriculum or, by the way, our, our cell phone— um, we, we'll miss out because hospitality is, is personal, it's communal, it's more often in the home or the neighborhood than it is in a church building, it's less often in a classroom and more on the soccer pitch. All of those things, that's where hospitality is expressed. So to me, the isolation, uh, some of the loneliness, some of the lack of community in the Western world, again, creates this opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't actually have any real friends. I have a lot of people that like me or heart me. But the isolation and loneliness of young people and, and really older people, too, around the world is, okay, what an opportunity for hospitality. Mm-hmm. For If the church can mobilize and say, please come into my home and we're going to talk. We're going to have a, a good old conversation. Uh, and, and, and that kind of warmth, uh, again, this is an opportunity waiting to unfold. And I actually think if we miss this moment, then the division, particularly in the United States, that's happening is uh, it, the polarization will just continue and mm-hmm. uh, you will be them and theirs and those not like me and our tribalism will uh, take over. And, and, and again, I, the church knows the answer to this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know it's relational, yeah. it's communal, it's Acts chapter 2, it's mm-hmm. Acts chapter 4. Like, this is the one that we know. Now, will we activate this? Yeah, that's our moment. But mm-hmm. I don't have any question. Good old hospitality is the beginning point. Uh, and and it's it's just a beginning point, but it's a beautiful one. It's where you're earning the right to be heard with your neighbor, with the other parents that are on your kid's soccer team, with the other parents that are in your kid's third grade class. Mm-hmm. Is that hospitality has opportunity everywhere, and and, so, and again, I think that's the beginning place of the gospel of I want to know you, yeah, and I'd like you to know me if you want to. And this is where the fragrance of Christ permeates. Wow. Yeah, let's um, 
Let's get practical for a second and talk about what intentional steps um, somebody in the Western church who is looking to to learn from some of the things that you may have gleaned in the last few years of traveling abroad and seeing the church operating in different cultural contexts, what kind of practical steps could somebody take in order to um, kind of develop a practice of hospitality in their own life? Well, I'll tell you the first one, uh, because it's the hardest one, is um, if you don't slow down, then you will not be hospitable. Hmm. Speed and hospitality just don't go together. So you have to figure out a way to practice slower. Slower means more listening. Slower means more paying attention. Slower means more eye contact. Slower means learning names. Slower means get off the phone. Slower means less media, not more. And I I don't want to say, you know, all media is bad. It's just a tool. It can be a good one. But but if we don't intentionalize relationships, Mm -hmm. and those always begin partly in the human heart, but they begin with learning names and paying attention and asking good questions and listening and building relationships Mm -hmm. and uh, building trust. And, and you, you can't do that when you're going 80 miles an hour. Right. It just, it just doesn't happen. And I don't want to say this flippantly. I think this is a very difficult practice to slow down in our world that is always saying speed up, get more done, mm-hmm. be more efficient, be uh, more of an achiever. Um, those things can be okay, but, but they are often not relational. Mm-hmm. And, and this, by the way, this is all of Young Life's effectiveness around the world, is leaders taking time to know young people in their world. Yeah. And by the way, that first conference with the, with the pastors and youth workers in India, um, they all put their pencils down at this point and said, ah, oh, this will work. By the way, second practice, which again seems uh, a little bit, uh, no, it's not counterintuitive. It's too simple. Um, learn how to have fun and invite people into fun things. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, I, I find, again, in Western world, we're, uh, because we've become more watchers, than participants, I think our level of fun has gone down. And I mean just good, a group of friends laughing together, throwing the ball, uh, a stick and a rock, make up a game, tiddlywinks, I don't care what you're playing, but some laughter and human connection is, is again, I, I think this is a window into people's souls. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, have fun invite people over to have fun rather than watch a movie play charades and i know that sounds so corny i i got it it does but do things where you're laughing Mm -hmm. and what the gospel then is permeating it's just flowing around the room do people know what it is no but but when you're having fun and you're kind of on the cusp of joy Mm. 
you're you're getting a little piece of heaven. Yeah. Uh, I'll add a third one that's kind of a, another little subset of uh, fun and, and, and laughter is adventure. Hmm. So go do adventures. And adventures are always a little bit crazy. Just get in the car and go. Uh, uh, yeah, we're leaving at midnight. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go up and we're going to be in Flagstaff and watch the sunrise. Hmm. Okay, I just promise you, whatever's happening to the people in that car is crazy. They're laughing and as holy as the best sermon hmm. on Sunday because of the human connection that's happening among people. And so, again, I think hospitality is really friendship expressed, mostly when you think of this, you kind of think of the stranger. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, but I think it's very often in America, it's your neighbor, your actual real one that lives in the apartment or the house next door. Yeah. Wow. How, how have you seen that transition from what you've called as the, the nonverbal proclamation of the gospel into um, the, the sort of conversations that bring about life transformation as far as the actual verbal proclamation of the gospel? What's, what does that, that uh, process look like? How does that transition occur? Yeah, make no mistake, this is a really important question. Those, those who kind of say, well, you, you know, go love people. Mm -hmm. um, and while I agree with that, I go, yeah, and... And they go, well, well, no, that's it. Well, um, yes and no. Um, I think there has to be a verbal proclamation of the gospel. That may not sound like a sermon or look like a lesson. It might sound like a question with a follow-up question with a follow-up question that says, well, what, what do you do with life? Or what, what is the good life? Or how do you figure out beauty? Hmm. Why do you think music has this transcendent nature to it? So I think the, the follow-up to the nonverbal part is good questions. Good questions. Learn to ask good questions. And if you're asking good questions and listening, I actually think the door then opens, well, well, what do you think? Hmm. And this is where 1 Peter 3, be ready. Like, have your soul ready when the question is asked, because that's your moment to verbally proclaim the gospel. Now, it can be, hey, come to the the musical performance at my church or in the community, uh, come to the small group Bible study. We run an alpha group in our neighborhood. Like, use every opportunity you can to get to the verbal proclamation. But because you have a relational foundation built up with people, they can say, well, no, I'm not interested. And then you get to go, all right, well, let's grab the basketball. Let's, we're going we're gonna to play. Right. Uh, you know, you're not give up. Okay, well, you missed your moment. Um, if you're in a relationship, you know, no, I'm still here. You're still here. Mm -hmm. We're still caring for each other. I, I, I just trust this, that the Holy Spirit will create the opportunity. Yeah. If you're asking him, I want to look for, to be ready to give the reason for the hope that is within you. Um, but then again, um, if, they, if they're willing to come to the Bible study at church or the Sunday school class or the Wednesday night, man, invite them to stuff. Mm -hmm. But then 
there's not one invitation invite them and you're still there yeah we're still having barbecue we're still playing basketball next saturday morning so it, it is in relationship that means these questions are not kind of a laser strike hit or miss but they're in relationship they're they're in yeah uh i i i follow christ at some point i'd love you to know why mm-hmm. i'd love you to read the bible with me sometime and uh find out it's probably a little bit different from what you thought yeah That's but good. but i want to tell you if if you do not have a plan to get to the verbal proclamation you might chicken out you might go oh i don't want to risk the relationship which i actually don't think is ever really true right if you built a genuine relationship you can ask good questions you can demonstrate uh a lot of times it could be as simple as being with them in a place of difficulty and you just say, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? Hmm. And I, I really, I've never had anybody say, oh, no. Yeah. No, I'm an atheist here. Please don't pray about my grandmother or uh, my child in trouble. Um, and then I, usually if there's a bit of a relationship, um, I, I'll just go the next step and I go, would you mind if I prayed right now? Now, that's usually a little bit of a moment that's a freak-out moment for them. Right, totally. Um, but I, I, I've never had anybody say no to that either. Yeah. There's something about prayer that even the atheist would like you to pray for them. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in your God, but uh, put in a good word for me. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um but again, I think that, as I talked about yesterday, that's a hospitable nature in your heart mm-hmm. of, I, I'm going into your world, and I want you to be very, very welcome yeah. in mine. I'd like us to be together. It, this is kind of the offer that we always make to young people in young life. We just go, hey, we're going to look at Jesus, and, and we're going to look together. It's not, I know the answers I'm going to tell you. We're going to open the Bible, and we're going to examine what did he say, what did his enemies say about him, what did he do, what did he teach, how did he treat people, how did he treat the outsider, how did he treat the insider, what did he say to his friends. Um, Because that's always our beginning point is uh, I'd love to to try to teach an adolescent the Trinity uh, sometime or, or uh, maybe about baptism. But, they, 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 you know, for us, we have to go, okay, we got one message to communicate to a disinterested group. Uh-huh. And I think this is for all of us. What's your one message? And for me, it's Jesus loves you. Hmm. That's what I'd like you to get. Now, I hope you grow and you get more church and service and theology and scripture and and creation and fall and redemption and resurrection. I hope you get all of those things. But as we think about the lost and broken world of adolescence, we go, okay, can we all agree on the one supreme message? Like if you only get one message, you don't get two. And we're always looking for people to go, yeah, that's our answer too. Yep. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. And if you get that, a transformed heart, a transformed family, a transformed community, and then growth in the local church and discipleship. 
That's beautiful. I love that. I think it fits perfectly within what we've been talking about as a church in the last couple of months is this idea of church around the table. And I think every year right about this time, we always have these conversations of what is the Lord calling us to grow in? Uh, what do we feel like is our area of lack? And I think this last year we identified it was the church that happens outside of church. Yeah. And I think that this is something that we can really learn a lot from young life in is learning how to do life together in community and then make space for people to encounter Jesus in um, the lives that we live together yeah. in community. And so I think it's wonderful you brought this message about hospitality, um, something that we desperately need to understand as a Western church. And I really appreciate you being here, really appreciate your insight. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we uh, wrap up today? No, I, I just want to say this. I, I love my church and uh, feel loved by my church feel sent all the time. Like in, uh, I brag about living streams um, all around the world um, for, for this. They send. They want the gospel to go out, that, that they're not satisfied with the Sunday morning meeting. Yeah. Um, they, they are dissatisfied with Sunday morning meetings because the purpose of this church is to send people out. Uh, and it really, it can just be back home, to your neighborhood, or it could be sending you to Zambia. But this is a, a mission-minded church, and and that for me, I I tell people all around the world, I, I got a great church. They send me everywhere. I feel sent. I feel prayed for, mm-hmm. and I feel very blessed that we landed here in 1993. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Marty, thank you so much for for everything that you do. Thank you for. Um, being a part of this church family and for being a part of this conversation for the last 45 minutes. I've really enjoyed it and hopefully there'll be more conversations in the future. Would love it. Thank you. This has been delightful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all, uh, those of you who have subscribed to our YouTube channel and watch our podcast on a regular basis. Uh, Make sure that you stay tuned for future content like this one. Um, Thank you. 